the devil's crazy all the time and you are not amen all right give somebody a hug again and then you may be seated thank you everybody god bless you thank you oh hallelujah the lord is good and his mercy endures forever hallelujah have you had a good sunday i noticed the sun came out to shine today it's always a great event for all of us that live here in London and in California the odd day is when it rains you stay home that day because folks in California don't know how to drive in the rain there's more wrecks when it rains in California than any other time of the year I know you don't understand that but I do amen aren't you glad Pastor Bruce has got his book out I began reading it uh, last night, got through the first, about halfway through the first chapter, and it's very good. I'm glad to have my copy, and mine's autographed. I like autographed books, so make sure you get your copy today, and make sure you get him to sign it too for you. Amen. I'll give you an author's secret. All authors love autographing their books. It gives them a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. So uh, we're very glad. So if you haven't got it, and you that are watching, get online and order it online or come by the KT Bookstore and pick your copy up next week. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're very glad. Open your Bibles to the book, of, the book of Acts, the 20th chapter. We want to kind of stay in the theme that I've been in the last few Sunday evenings with Paul and his direction. And in Acts chapter 20, we have record of probably Paul's first leaders encounter we'd say in the states his first pastor's conference he has finished up his work in ephesus and had left for a little while and he's on his way to jerusalem probably one of his mistakes at this particular time and he calls for the leaders that he had trained in ephesus to come about 30 miles south of ephesus to a little town called uh, how do you say that calvin Miletus. I've been screwing that name up all week long. Miletus. Verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now, Miletus is a resort town. Everybody say resort. So the first thing we can learn about Paul's leadership conference, he took them someplace nice. Out of the town where they worked, where they pastured, where they labored. And took them someplace where they couldn't get pressurized to go back to the office he brought them to a nice resort town about 30 miles south of Ephesus you can go there today it's still a nice town Look it up on the map so the first thing we should learn about Paul talking to his leaders is our leaders should always leave London go someplace different someplace nicer are you all backslidden already <laughs> say amen. amen so why because it's always good to get out of where you're territory is so you can focus on something different and get refreshed emotionally physically and spiritually so he's on his way to jerusalem he says there in verse um, verse 16 that he was in a hurry he hastened to get there so on his way there he went to Miletus and and called for all the elders at ephesus to come and verse 18 and they came that's a miracle too the leaders actually came i, I wonder if Pastor Colin, as he's calling for these grace meetings, uh, for all the people to come, uh, I hope you all come to at least some of the three meetings. No amens? <laughs> Jesus, this church needs help. <laughs> Revive them from their dead works. 
and give them passion for the cause of this house. Amen. So I've always found when you look at this first pastor's conference, we have a biblical record of a Paul's, that he's in a resort town, beach town, where there's a nice beach, nice resort, so the pastors and the elders there can be refreshed spiritually and naturally. And he called for the elders, and they came to him, verse 18 says. If you're under a covering, if you're submitted to a house, when the leadership calls, thy butt cometh. Can I say that again? Or did you get the point? It's not a vote. Should we or shouldn't we? If you're under the covering of a house and you're a part of a house, when the leaders call, you come. Well, I don't want to. Then we call that rebellion. And maybe we should have a deliverance meeting tonight for rebellion. Because sometimes I hear its voice in the little corners of KT. Well, when the leaders call, they call for you to come, they call for a gathering, there is a reason for it. It's not just for a, a sake of a meeting or a sake of an ego thing, it's the sake of something that God has directed. Verse 18 again. And they came to him. And then we have one of the rare things in, or happenings in scripture where we have Paul's whole address to the leaders of Ephesus here in this particular chapter and we're going to review that tonight so I'm going to treat you like you are a leader of one of God's churches in one way you are already in this church a leader because everybody at KT becomes a leader if you're new to KT welcome to your wild and unplanned future because KT blows your traditional way of living out the back door of your life. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. And that's why some of you go, what happened to me? You died and God came alive. Yeah. Your plans and purposes and pursuits, God refined down to His. The only way you can have fun in Christianity is when you live according to His plan. And it's not a mixture of you and His plan, it's just Him. His is better than all of yours put together. Amen. <clears throat> he said unto them, You know from the first day <clears throat> that I came to Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons. And then in your Bible, the term all seasons. A lot of people don't know how to be a leader in all seasons. The seasons of life is there are good seasons. Have you had some of them? Uh, I don't think so. Have you had a good season in your life? I've had some good seasons in my life. Probably from the time of 20 to 30 was a good 10 years of my life. When I hit 30 to about 37, I had more demons to fight than I ever had in the first 20 years of my life. When my church went to a new place of governingship, my voice increased in certain parts of the world. The devil didn't like that. The devil don't like you. There's one spirit in the world that don't like you, and that's called the devil. And that should be a mutual thing back then. You shouldn't like him either. You and the devil should have a common ground. We hate each other. Amen? When you get up, punch him, even if you don't feel him. If you get up in the morning, I bind you. Just as a part of your coffee routine. Amen? I bind you in Jesus' name. 
You can't have me. You can't use me. You can't dictate to me. I belong to Jesus. Amen. He says, I was with you in all seasons and you knew what manner I was like that. Uh, there's good seasons. There's uh, bad seasons. And then there's seasons where you are. What's happening? What's going on? You feel like sometimes you're being left behind. You feel sometimes like you're being surpassed. Paul said, I've been with you in all the seasons. He didn't just say, I was with you in the good times. Uh, I was with you when it wasn't so hot. You know, when you build a church, uh, there's all kinds of seasons, like having a family. When you build a church, you marry the people. Uh, when you're a traveling preacher, you date them. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, a preacher that comes in, has a good couple nights with you, and then they disappear. That's called a date. They all go home. They go back where they're going from. If you become a pastor, you marry them. That means when they look pretty and when they look ugly. That means when they're happy or when they're grumpy. When they're prosperous or when they're broke. When they're up or when they're down. You're there with them. And Paul said, I was with you for three and a half years. In all the seasons. So if you're going to be a leader, you have to be willing with, to be with people in all of their seasons. And they have to be willing to be with you in all of your seasons. Verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears, temptations, which befell me because of those Jews lying in wait. Now, verse 19, he says this. I was serving the Lord with all humility. Now, what does that mean? The way I like to define that for you is this way. In a grace mindset. When you're a leader and you're a pastor, you look at people, and when you look at some people, you wonder... Why did God choose them to do that? I know you're not like that. But I'm like that. I've built five Bible schools. This one here is the first one I've just come in and helped uh, after it's been going for 20 some years. All the other ones I built from scratch. And for example, when Bible school students show up in the school, there are some that stand out real beautifully and great. And others you wonder... Why are you here? Could you please leave? I don't like you. You irritate me. You have those, I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I just did. I've had that in all the schools that I've had. And if you allow that natural mindset to dictate to you, you're not walking in the humility of mind. We are walking in the arrogance of your own thinking, your own perception. And so as a leader, you have to have a grace mindset. Seeing people how God sees them, not how you see them. And God sees people as the end result victorious person. He did not let the season of their life, the condition that they're in, or how they're reacting at that moment, stop him from knowing their potential and the great goal he has for them in their lives. So leading, pastoring, building comes with a humility of mind, a grace mindset. You look at people, how God sees them. Not how you want to see them, how God sees them. My voice needs to get healed. In Jesus' name. It was real good until I walked on stage. Maybe it's a demon. I'm about to call it a demon. <clears throat> Be healed. The devil hates my voice because I say things British folks don't say. Got no amen on that at all in this crowd, at all. 
All right, verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility, a grace mindset. If you're going to be a great leader, you have to see people how God sees them. And sometimes God has to show you what he sees. Because you can't see through the natural, through the mess that they're in, or how they're thinking at that time, or how they're believing at that time. He says, I was with you with many tears. Uh, leaders cry. Leaders have emotions. Leaders have feelings. I know you don't think that, but they do. They have feelings. They have emotions. They have tears. You don't live by them, or you'd quit every other day. The people business is the hardest business in the world to stay happy in. Because people change like British weather. One day they love KT. Next week you can't find them for six months. One day they love Pastor Colin, Pastor Bruce, and next day, I don't like him anymore. They go from hot to cold in a matter of an emotional feeling. And they base a lot of their words on the moment of how they feel. Maturity does not allow emotions to dictate your actions. Maturity allows the word of the Lord and common sense to dictate your actions. Emotions are not to be followed, they're to be enjoyed. They asked Wigglesworth one time. Some are all did. How do you feel today, Mr. Wigglesworth? And he came back and said, I don't ask Wigglesworth how he feels. I tell him. And he was British. I kind of figured out after living here for about three years why it was like that. If you don't tell yourself how to feel in some in spiritual climates, that atmosphere is going to tell you. And so you cannot allow your emotions to dictate your faith, your pursuit of your call, or being bothered by people's hot and cold flashes pertaining to you. Amen. Amen? He said, I serve the Lord with all humility and with many tears and temptations. Temptations is a part of life. See, but Brother Roberts, why do they come? Because you breathe. <laughs> well, I'm praying. Great, that helps you overcome the temptation. It does not stop them from coming by and going, Hi. <laughs> Amen? He probably had some temptations today. See, no one said nothing on that one either. <clears throat> it's not an indictment. It's called the devil roar, goes around roaring, looking for what he can devour. And one way he tries to devour you is throwing temptation at you. When temptations come by, pick up the sword of the Spirit and cut its head off. Amen. Don't drive it off. Kill it. Because yes. if you don't drive it off, it has babies and comes back in multiples. Yes. So I faced temptations when I was with you, and the, which all came to me because, the next one here, which was filled me by the line and weight of the Jews. In other words, religious conflict. So Paul said here in verse 19, I serve God in my leadership skills by looking at people in a grace mindset. I see God and what he wants to do for them, what he wants to make for them, what he wants to make out of them, and that's what I talk to. That's what I believe in. That's what I support. I go through temptations and resist them. I go through religious battles. If you're in ministry, religious wars are your biggest ones. Religion comes to take your joy. Like some of you have not danced much in this church lately. That's why I've created a little more happier songs in the evening service. To see how many of you will get happy. 
some of you came from parts of the world where you get happy on the way to church and you get crazy in church. You came here and you died. And you're acting like this atmosphere. So the atmosphere of heaven. The atmosphere of joy. Religious devils come to steal your joy, your happiness. To make you think that lack is a way of living. Your lifestyle. Your woes are God's plan for you. The only thing you do with a woe is you kick it out. You make it a joyful thing. You step on it and go up, not go down. Religious devils come at you and make fun of you. Well, when religious devils make fun of you, you laugh with them. Ha, 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 back at them. And then you do right in front of their face exactly what they don't like. Whatever it is, just do it. They'll get mad enough to run off or they'll get free and join you. One way or the other. He said, I had to walk through all those religious Jews that were fighting me. Verse 20, but I kept nothing back from you that was profitable to you. Uh, even in all the wars, starting this work in Ephesus, the conflict, the temptations, the religious wars, in all of that, he said, as your leader, I did not keep any truth from you. The other thing that religious devils do is try to keep the preacher from giving everything in their understanding and in their anointing capacity to keep them in reserve. But when you're under the mandate of God and the anointing, there is a maximum style you live in. He says here, <clears throat> I've kept nothing back. Which means in the old language that when you have the old tummy boats with no engines and they were run by sails, you go back and say that I've kept nothing back. It means he put down all the sails to get the full capacity of what he knew in them. So he said, I held nothing back to you. I preached to you everything that I knew under the strength of my anointing and my gift with no apology. The best preaching is when you throw caution to the wind and you throw your concern about opinions to the other wind and you step out and walk on water, you have more fun. If you'll preach like that, you'll have more fun. If you don't, yeah, you'll be miserable and won't be out of the ministry in five years. The most miserable people I see are preachers who don't preach like Paul. Who preached with all the sails of the anointing un unfolded and blowing. That's how you go to preach. You don't preach with reserve. You don't preach with concern. You don't preach with worry. You don't preach about concerning your head about the money. If I preach like this, I might lose Mr. Big Bucks. If I preach like this, Sister Jebra Jaws may start talking about me. They will anyway. But I don't care, neither should you. I approach every sermon like it's my last. I may never see you again. So I want to make sure that you hear me clearly, boldly, and you don't forget. And I know sometimes there are people that come to find fault with me and there's a lot of faults you can find. I'm not perfect. I'm just bold. I'm not perfect. Don't claim to be perfect. Never had that title. Wouldn't accept that title. But I would accept the title of boldness. And trying to be non-worrisome about you. If you get delivered from sin, your next deliverance should be from public opinion. Your next deliverance, especially as a preacher, should be from public opinion. Who cares what the idiots say? 
They're not going to believe you anyway. I never preach for the dead people unless they want to come alive. There are those in our world that are professionally dead and they don't want to come alive. I'm not coming to your church. I'm not coming to your conference. I will say no. Let the dead bury the dead. I think Jesus said that. Is that right? So why don't you follow his words? Let the dead bury the dead. There are those who are professionally dead. Professionally dead churches. You can't revive them. You can't change them. So forget them. Thank you for the one amen. I'll give you five pounds for that amen. <clears throat> then there's the academic group. The academic group that is so scholarly they have no more revelation. They wouldn't know divine revelation if it hit them on a, in the head and was blinking in a neon sign. Because they allow the intellect of their mind to dominate the revelation of their spirit. And they are the best fault finders there is out there. So I don't preach to them. Not worried about them. I don't write for them. Don't worry about them. God bless you. Have a nice day. Hope you make it to heaven. Bye. Don't worry about them. And neither should you. Jesus ministered mainly to the common man of society. He won and did what he did with the common man. When you focus on the two extremes, you lose the power of world impact. If you focus on the common man and the common woman, you will succeed. You will make a powerful impact and you'll have fruit that remains. Can you say amen? amen. See, but what about those other groups? That's God's problem, not yours. I tried to raise those who don't want to come back. When they come back, they're mean in the world when they died. So leave those mean people alone. Let God work with them in his own ways of wisdom. We don't have that. Let God deal with them. Talk to the common man. The common man is what John Wesley had when he won this country. And right now, there's these religious pools trying to get us to focus always on the dead, the professional dead, and those that are so academically uh, astute they wouldn't know the Holy Ghost. These two groups, let God care with them. Care about the common person in the middle of society and those churches, and you can change a city and a nation. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Paul said, I did not keep nothing back from you that was profitable. But I've showed you, verse 20, I've showed you and I've taught you publicly and from house to house. There's two different kinds of ways that people hear and receive the gospel. There are those when they see a demonstration of God's power, believes. Secondly, then there's those who, when they hear the word taught to them with a revelatory anointing, by hearing, they receive. Now, some of you could be both. But in some parts of the world, like for example, I'll use America. When you cross the Mason-Dixon line, you know what that is in America? That's where we divide the North and the South. Remember the Civil War in America? The Mason-Dixon line? The North and the South is divided by that line. And it's still there. We don't call it, but you can tell when you cross it. Because when you go North, they're more intellectual. They're more head-led. In the South, they're more feeling-led. So you don't know how to talk to them. <clears throat> and the Bible says here, I showed you and I taught you. I showed you and I taught you. There are two kinds of groups. There are those that want to be showed demonstrations of God's power and then they'll believe. Then there are those who want to be taught and they'll believe. When you go north, those always want to be taught. You go south, they want to be showed. If you do the opposite, they'll just look at you. 
Because you won't connect right. So, Brother Roberts, if there's no demonstration, how do they get saved? Some people listen and receive differently than other people. Dr. R.T. Kendall, every time he comes here, I enjoy him so much. You like Dr. Kendall? Yeah. I, I like his books and I like him better. Now, some people, I just like their books. I don't like them. I don't know why, but you know, their books are nicer, I guess. I don't know. But I like both of them. But I watch him and, he, and he's not, me and him are opposite. Can you tell? We, don't, we, we get along, we're friends, my style and his style are two different worlds. But every time he comes, people get saved. Have you noticed that? He's one of those you can say here, when he gets done teaching, people get saved. He's one of those that expresses that, I taught you part. Now you put Reinhard Bonnke up here, he don't teach that much. He's an evangelist. I mean, the first time I heard him preach, I'll never forget what he preached on. Still don't understand it. But I remember it. You want to know what it was? A fly won't land on a hot stove. That was his sermon. I remember sitting in the crowd in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he came the first time. This great African evangelist. We were all excited to see Mr. Bunky for the first time. And he got up there and he preached, A fly won't land on a hot stove. I kept going... And, and he kept repeating it. I don't know anything else he said that night. Because he kept repeating that slogan. And a few folks would get happy and clap. And I kept going. Yeah. But when he gave the altar call, it filled up. And I was in amazement. I thought I wouldn't have got saved on that sermon if my life depended on Because I don't know what it means. But there's two ways people hear. They hear by seeing and they hear by the right revelatory teaching. And Paul said in verse 20, I've kept nothing back. I've given you my full capacity. I've showed you. I've demonstrated. And I've taught you publicly. Uh, um, publicly. 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 Not just quietly in a corner someplace. Paul said in Acts, he said, what I've done has not been done in a corner. God doesn't do things in a corner. He does it out there in the middle of everywhere where everybody can see it and know it up front. God's not ashamed of himself. And he says, I also went from house to house teaching you. So Paul had a cell ministry. Like KT. Hint, hint. So, well, <laughs> he went from house to house. From cell to cell. Teaching and ministering. So the cell ministry has been around for a long time. If you're in this church, learn how this thing works. Some of you are going to be sitting out of this house one day. You'll go build churches in other parts of the world, other parts of England. And while you're here, you better learn and not gripe. Shut your mouth up and sing praises and learn. Shut your gripe. Start praising and learning. Shut up and start praising and learning. Don't, shut up. Because while you're complaining, you're going stupid. You're losing the revelation that this house can give you while you're complaining. Ignorance will take its place. Learn while you're here. Take advantage of while you're here. He said in verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody has to repent and then have faith toward God. Faith toward Jesus Christ. You don't get saved by Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus together. You're saved by one and one only, and his name is Jesus. 
Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. Paul did not preach a mixture of, of deity. He preached one and one Savior, one mediator, and that is the way it is today. There's no mixture no matter what these people say. They are wrong. He says in verse 22, he's talking to his preachers there. It's interesting how he says this. He says, and behold, I go bound in spirit. Little s, that meant his spirit. Capitalized meant the Holy Spirit. Little s, his spirit. I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Well, that's not quite true. Because verse 23 starts happening to him. Except or say that the Holy Ghost keeps telling me in how many cities? Every city. Saying bonds and afflictions abide me. If you go to 15 cities and the same message keeps coming. I would advise you. To investigate what God's trying to tell you. If you go to every city and the preacher, the unknown church member, the guy that catches you in the parking lot, says the same kind of message, I take heed. Some of you go, well, they're just telling me that because I want to get ready for what's coming. Well, that might be true. Or God may be warning you to stop what you're doing because you may be out of sequence of his timing. God warns you because you're not listening. When he always has to take people and bring them across your path all the time, that normally means you're not listening. Because God's first attack to get your attention is your own ears. Your own inner man. God will come to you himself and say, hold on. Whoa. I need to talk to you. Find some quiet time so I can talk to you. And don't give me a time clock and tell me you only got 10 minutes. I'm God. I want as long as I want. He don't obey the 9 o'clock hour. He does what he wants. But Paul, every city he went, the Holy Ghost kept telling him, trouble, 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 trouble. Um, if God keeps telling you something over and over, then you better stop and go listen for yourself and find out. And then he says, but none of these things move me. Well, that's nice. But maybe they should. Maybe they should move you. If God keeps telling you in every city the same message, it better get your attention. Amen. It better wake you up. Sometimes passion that is not kept in check by the Holy Ghost can get you in the wrong position. Now follow me. Let me read this verse to you. I'm going to make a point to you that I want you to think about next week. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear myself. That I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I received the Lord Jesus Christ. To testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Well that's all nice. But Paul has had one problem throughout his life that I want to propose to you. If you follow this time of his life, this particular trip. He's heading to Jerusalem to help them break the law and to come back to understanding grace. He had done that a couple of times before. But Paul had such a strong passion for the Jewish people. 
But if you look at Acts chapter 9, when God called him, God, go over it real fast. Let me just take this moment to propose this to you. Acts chapter 9, real fast. So you can see it. In Acts 9 and verse 15, Ananias is having a vision about Paul's calling. And it says, And the Lord show, said unto him, Go thy way, for it is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before, number one, Gentiles, number two, kings, number three, the children of Israel, uh, in that order. Let me teach you something. Remember how God talks to you. He don't talk to you scattered. He talks to you in order, an order of distinction, the power of first mentions. When he's put this list together, Gentiles, kings, and the Jewish people. That's the list of his calling. His first and most successful part of his life was to the Gentiles. Would you agree with that? Then he kept popping up with all the rulers. And then he had a ministry to the Jews. But his personal passion for the Jews kept making him put the Jews first and not third in the list of his call. Let me give you a quick point for you to consider about your life and your future ministry. When God calls you, remember how he said what first, what second, and what third. And don't change it because of your emotion, because of your personal passion, or because of an easier road. A lot of people get it all messed up. They're doing it, but out of order. Out of order. And Paul, in my opinion, was making a mistake here. In every city, God kept telling him, trouble, trouble, trouble. And he had a, a very admirable response, which I admire, but you can have a great response and still not be in the right order. Because when you follow him on over to Jerusalem, he actually ends up doing things he was preaching against and never really got to preach what he wanted to do when he's in Jerusalem. So it didn't quite work out, which gives me the opinion he was making a mistake by going in the first place. He should have waited for a stronger unction. Just because you like something does not mean it's the timing for it or the priority that you're liking or your emotion has put on it. Can you say amen? amen. Say amen again. Amen. I've been in ministry for 30-some years. And one of the biggest troubles I've seen in ministry is not money. It's not education. It's knowing how to keep the things in right order. Just because you like something does not mean you're called to fix it. Just because you have seen a certain need in the earth does not mean that now your calling is to go fix that need. For example, in my community, there were people in our community that took care of unwed mothers. And those that were on their way to an abortion... And they decided not to because these people made provision for them to help them. And that's a good ministry. No doubt about it, that's a good ministry. But God didn't call me to do that kind of ministry as a full-time focus. That doesn't mean that I don't have a concern for it. That I don't have a value in it. Doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it. But God didn't say, Robert Lairdon, your ministry is to do this. But I could write checks and send it to them and help them who that's their first place calling to do that. I have to do what God called me to do, what's first place to me, even though what they're doing over there is good, 
it's Christian, it's an anointing for it, and, and, and it's obviously a good ministry, but I wasn't called to make that my, my, my ministry. Sometimes you get all messed up because there's so many things out there that's good that's going on or that need somebody to help out. But what did God tell you to do? And just because you know it's a good ministry does not mean you're called to lead it or to have some type of focus on it. You can always send them a good fat check and help them out. Money helps them. Lots of people. Are you all here if you all died? Say amen. Brother Robert, <laughs> no, 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 hear me. Some of you, as you get into ministry, when you church gets a little big, you get a little popularity, everybody and their dog wants your time, your name, your attention, and probably nine out of ten of them are all legitimate, good people, with good ministry. But you can't do all of that. You know what God called you to do? God called me to do three things mainly. Teach spirit life, the generals, and talk about heaven. That's my three things. And he told me to never become just a U.S. citizen. He said, become a world citizen and love it. You know how hard that is for an American? That's hard for an American. Especially one that lived 20 years in Southern California where it never rains. And we don't wear scarves and gloves and undershirts. And thick underpants to stay warm when you walk to the bus stop. We go in shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts and have a good time and we all have a tan. I wake up in Southern California, there's a pool in my backyard. Whoo, hallelujah. I walk to the front door and there's my nice car. I hit a button, it goes beep, beep and pops open. I go to the mall and everybody's looks good. The land of beautiful people in Southern California. If they're ugly, they get it fixed and they're beautiful. That's California. When you're at Starbucks and you're with your, your guy friends and there comes a, a beautiful girl walking down the, the street or something, you, you don't go, wow, you go, well, how much that cost her? That's California. Everybody in California has been nipped and tucked to where they look like Miss America even when they're 85 years old. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> now why I told you that, I don't know. <laughs> the Lord told me, He said, you'll build me churches, you'll build me schools, and then He told me, in the last time of your life, I will give you a media ministry. Now, the first part of my life, I wanted one. Now, I don't. Because I know too much. That's part of why God will give it to me. Pastor Colin even told me years ago in a prophecy here. So, what? I thought, mm. I thought, fine. Just about 18 months ago, the Lord came again to me and said, and reminded me of that. I said, Lord, I don't want one. I wanted it when I was 25. Now I'm happy just teaching KT people. Irritating British demons. I thought, Lord, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm, 
I'm happy. You know, he didn't respond to that at all. All we remember when God doesn't respond, the last thing he said still stands. Silence does not mean that God agrees with what you said after he spoke. It means what he said still stands. I was on TBN for about two and a half years. I went on television for two and a half years. It cost me about, oh, $13,000 a show at that time for 30 minutes. And I was on it and I was building my church in California. And so it was okay. It was, it was fun. It was exciting. But it didn't work like I thought it was supposed to work. And I was praying one morning out by the pool. That's where I pray in California, by the pool. I've not found a British pool to pray by here yet. I found a pond over here where the ducks will attack you. And the Lord said to me, I was praying around the pool, and I was praying about the TV thing. He says, I didn't tell you to do that. And I went and got my journal. I said, yes, you did. Right here. I said, I got a list of things you told me to do. It's about two pages long. He said, did I tell you when? I said, well, you got me there. So I got off TV. So I called TBN, called Paul and Jen Crouch in their office. I said, I, I've signed a contract for another year, but I need to break it. They said, but Brother Roberts, we like you. I said, I'm glad you like me. I said, but Jesus said I'm not to be on TV right now. They go, well, we don't want to get him mad at us. I said, I'm a little bit in trouble right now. He's not mad at me, but he's told me he didn't tell me to do it now, and I've jumped the gun. I, I, need, to, I need to come off. They said, all right, no problem, and they let me go. So I just hung up the TV thing and put it over there. Ministry priorities and the right season for things makes life so much more enjoyable than when you push things and do things because you want it or because you want it now and not later. And some of you, God's been trying to arrest you so that your troubles and your stresses and your worries will disappear if you'll come into God's timing and God's seasons and understand that everything is perfect in His time in your life. And don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But, 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 no, there's no buts in God's commands. There is yeas and amens and that is it. But, but, no, 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 no buts. Take the shotgun and shoot the butt so you don't get in trouble. Uh, but, but, my friends, but, 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 but everybody else, but, but, but shut up. And obey God for yourself. Obey the distinction that God has given you joyfully and happily and you'll reap the rewards of an obedient life. Can you say amen? amen? So, you know, when you make a mistake like that, how do you fix it? Fast. Because if you stay in something such a ministry longer than God's given it to you, you get in debt and you wear out your staff and they don't like you anymore. So how do you know? I did that to my team. I was running according to my desire with all good things, but not at the pace and the season of all things. And I realized that some of the stress that even some of my staff that was helping me was having was because it was affecting them. Learn the power of first mentions. Learn the power of seasons. And stay with it. God does not keep your season in line with everybody else's season. 
Everybody's individually called, placed, anointed, and put on their track of their high call. You don't run against one another in competition. You're competing against the mandate of God over your life, not anybody else. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. You know, I could have said like verse 24 could have been my, well, I'm blessing people. I'm getting letters every week from people all over the world that love my ministry. But it wasn't the right timing. Just because you're getting some good fruit still does not mean that it's the right thing. You have to make sure it is the right time and season for everything and the right priorities. Or you might get a little bit of fruit, but not that which is rightfully yours or should be at that time in your life. Can you say amen? amen. Are you enjoying this tonight? Yes. This is what he was teaching pastors. Verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Um, there are things in your life and ministry that when they are over, they're over for good. There are some things that you wish you could have forever. And they don't come that way. And that's hard. Because there are things about life and ministry that you'd like to have forever. But they come for a season and they end. I loved when I shipped missionaries from my Baba school. Out of all the things I did for 30 some years of ministry, that was the most fun I ever had in my life. And I had a lot of fun. God gave me millions of dollars supernaturally. I mean, crazy. Crazy money. I mean, it made me question all the other things I ever did was in God's will or not. Because that money came so easy to me. The first time everybody got $100,000 at one time came to me in a pink bag. I love pink now. I didn't like pink in those days, but after that pink event, you can give me pink all day long and I'll take everything you give me in pink. I was sitting in Miami. I had some of my staff members leave me. That was real close to our ministry and they, they left and I was kind of to be honest, I was hurt, and I was kind of down and out, and didn't feel good, and I was complaining to Jesus. Why don't you fix this? Help me out. You know, self-pity party with the capital letters. And I was in Miami preaching, and I didn't really pray much at the service that night. I was just praying about my, my drama at home in Southern California. And the Lord came through the wall. Now, I didn't see him, but I felt him. He came straight through the wall, and I was sitting in the little table next to the bed in my hotel room. And he stood about a foot from me and said, send 500 missionaries to the mission field and pay for it. I said, excuse me? I've been praying about the loss of my staff members and these people in my ministry. I've been praying about that. Help me. I was all, you know, self-engrossed in my pity and my wound. And the Lord never, even to this day, has talked to me about them. He didn't even say one word. He walked into my room in my whoa and said, ship 500 graduates to the foreign field for a year and you pay for it. That took me out of my wound real fast. Because I had enough sense to know kind of what 500 missionaries is going to cost. I said, can we start with 50? 
He didn't respond. Now, remember what I told you. The last thing he said still stands. All your talk after that and all your crying and all your gathering of the wrong prophecies don't change what the Lord said. All the, all the reasons that you go, oh, yeah, yeah. God, mm, that's it. So I sat there for a little bit going, <laughs> can we talk? I said, Lord, you live on gold streets. We have asphalt in America. I said, if I do 500 missionaries, that's at least $750,000 just get them a round trip ticket. Let them, I got to feed them. I got to get them a place to stay in these strange countries. And they're Americans on top of that. That means they complain a lot. Because Americans don't travel. They live inside of America and they call that the world. Have you noticed? We have our football called the, you know, the World Events, World Series uh, Baseball. And we're the only ones in it. At least when you have the World Cup, the rest of the world come to your games. In America, it's just us. I love my country, but we're weird sometimes, all right? I thought, shipping Americans to these countries, Lord. But I had enough sense to say yes, even when everything in me goes, oh my God. You know how you say yes, and your head starts to faint, and your body wants to sleep and take medications because it can't take it anymore, like you're barely making... The ends meet with your church and all that you're doing. My payroll in those days was $150,000 at the first of the month. Just to pay the people that work for me. Then I had to pay what it cost to buy that building, which was like $35,000 a month, just a monthly payment for the building. About $7,000 a month for electricity. I don't count all the rest of the stuff I've chosen to forgot. And I pray that I never have to do that again. And now I have to create a new department. Shipping people. Shipping people. Not bringing them to me. Shipping them. I like to ship some of you. So that night, I thought, well, I'll tell what Jesus said to me tonight. It'll be my sermon. And as I got dressed and was putting on my tie, the Lord said to me, thank you for accepting my order. That's pretty nice. But that wasn't the nicest part. He says, I'll confirm to you before you leave town that it's my will with something special. Ooh, I like that. So I went out the first night. I told nobody. And told him what the Lord had told me. And announced within five hours of that visitation. If you come to my Bible school and you graduate. Now if you're a bad person, you don't graduate, you don't go. But if you graduate, I'll pay you your airline ticket and your expenses for a year overseas. All I want you to do is preach, teach, cast out devils, heal the sick, and give food to hungry people. When I said that to the first crowd, they did what you did. I thought they'd be happy. Some of these clap or go, woo, woo. 
Nothing. Just like a British crowd. <laughs> My two staff members that were assisting me on the road looked at me and they began to talk to themselves during my sermon <laughs> when I got back to the hotel room and we were heading to our rooms the team goes are you serious we figured out how much money you were going to need just to ship 500 people I said I bind you go to bed <laughs> I don't want you to talk to me with anything logical right now because I'm not logical visions are never logical Visions are not logical. When God gives you a call and a purpose and he gives you an assignment, it doesn't make sense. It scares all logic out the back door of your head. I was having breakfast the next morning with the pastor. That's what you do when you travel. You eat with all of them. You eat at morning, noon, night, midnight. That's why we're fat. So I was having breakfast with the pastor. And he said, there's a lady at the front part of the hotel that wants to see you. I said, great. Because some ladies that find your hotel aren't there to ask for prayer. They're crazy women. And you have to be careful when you're a single guy or a married guy because there's crazy people out there. So I said, well, just have her wait until I'm done eating. I thought we should just disappear. We got in about an hour or so later, and I was checking out the hotel with the pastor, and the pastor goes, that's her. I look up and go, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> she goes, Brother Roberts, Brother Roberts, can I talk to you? I said, right here. We're not going to no corner. We're not going outside. We're doing it right here in the lobby of the hotel. Right here. That way everybody can see here and I can run for safety. <laughs> right here. She said, that's fine. And she pulled out of her big bag a pink bag. She says, I drove all night to get here. And she goes, and that church he passes wouldn't tell me where you were. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> She's kind of mad at the pastor. She says, but I found you. I said, obviously. <laughs> she says, I have to give this to you because God wouldn't let me sleep and told me to go right now and bring it to you. She says, I'm going to give it to you and I'm tired. I'm going to go home and go to bed here and walk off. <laughs> well, she did. And I'm sitting there with a pink bag in the middle of the hotel going, What? Well, when you have any kind of bag, you look in it. When I looked in it, it was something nice. $100,000 from the bank wrapped in nice little $100 bill sections. And on top of it was stocks from Coca-Cola Company. From Coca-Cola, the drink. Coca-Cola, Coke. Is that better? Coke. It is more commonly known as Coca-Cola, but Coke, all right? <laughs> I sat down in the chair in the lobby, and the pastor came by and said, what's in the bag? I said, you won't believe it. So I began to take it out of the bag, put it on the, you shouldn't do that in the lobby of a hotel, but I was in shock. 
taking out a bag, $100,000 in cash, and about 27000 in coke, stocks, and bonds. And the Lord said to me, I told you. I told you. And from that moment forward, every time I shared that vision in that season, people ran and threw money at me. No joke. I mean, I was at one service in Oklahoma City. I had little kids run down the aisles and throw nickels and dimes at me. It was one of those money-throwing services. You don't have too often, but when you do, you enjoy it. They were throwing money at me. Because that was the season that I was in. And God paid for it. And I enjoyed it. Hope he does it again. Now that one, whoa, I could do that one again with no thoughts about it. I mean money. I mean I'd wake up and there was money. I get phone calls from my office and saying, we need money to go. We got another 20,000 came in this morning. Some stranger walked in and gave it to the clerk. I like those kind of phone calls. Not the ones go, you got 35,000, we got the bills due at noon, and it's nine. Welcome to senior leadership. Paul said here, I won't be with you all the time. So wherever you're at in your season of your life, enjoy it. There'll be those that you enjoy more than others, but enjoy it. And don't get to the place where you live so far in the past. I like what I did, but I know what I'm going to do is going to be a lot more fun and adventurous than I ever have in my life. But God only takes you one way. Forward, up, and through. Not backwards and out. Oh, hallelujah. He said in verse 26, I take you to record this thing that I am pure from the blood of all men. In other words, while I was with you, I preached to you, I lived with you, I worked with you to the point that none of you, none of your blood will be on my shoulders or my hands. I've done everything that was right before God and man. Verse 27, I've not shunned to declare to you all the counsel of God. Um, Leaders can't just preach the part they like. Or the church gets lopsided. You've got to preach the full counsel. The whole message of the gospel. Not just the parts you like, but all of it. Paul said, I've given you all the counsel of God. Verse 28. Pastors, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer. Uh, leaders are over, not besides or not under. They're over the people that God has sent them. You can't lead in a buddy-buddy system. You have to lead from a point position. You can have friends, but at the end of the day, it rests on your shoulders. See, a lot of folks want to be the top guy because they see a few little perks. The higher you go, the less of you exist. Write that down. The higher you go in ministry, the bigger it gets, the stronger it becomes, the less of you there is. Most folks don't know that. They see the escort in, the escort out. They see a few things they call wow. You don't see all the other things. He used to ask Catherine Kuhlman. Miss Kuhlman, 
What does it cost to have a miracle ministry like yours? You should ask her that. She told you about never meeting, but nobody heard her because they didn't believe her. You ask me, she said, what it cost me. All you see is the white dress and the empty wheelchairs. I see the one that didn't get healed. And I know better than anybody else. It's not me that does these things. I'm just a vessel. But you ask me what it costs to be the vessel? It costs you everything. So you that are sitting out here tonight with a call of God on your life and you're trying to marry his plan and your ambition, they don't get married. The two don't come together. It's all of him and none of you if you're going to have a ministry that's impacting the world. You must die. You must die to that. There is a place in that type of ministry of consecration that this generation does not know much about. It's not an emotion. It's a consecration where you dedicate your life to represent him, to put him first, his kingdom first, his people first. Everything that he wants is first. And that which you want may never happen. I don't know if that's being taught enough today but that, that is still a part of the price of the ministry in every day. A dedication and a consecration. He said, God has put you over the flock and you have to feed them. Uh, sheep need food, not entertainment. A church does not grow because you have a happy singer. A church does not grow because you're a popular personality. It grows because the word of God is being taught and demonstrated to the people that are there and the people that are coming. We're called to feed you, not babysit you. We're called to equip you to do something bigger than you. Not just keep you here until Jesus comes or you die. We're called to make you a one-man army that can go anywhere in any place of the world and succeed. That's what a church is called to do, to feed you and equip you like that. He said, the mercy of for I know this after my departure. Grievous wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things and drawing disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Wolves are from the outside. False brethren are from the inside. And Paul told this group of leaders in Ephesus that his presence had kept them at bay. He said, well, I was with you. My ministry, my maturity, my strength, kept the wolves out of the flock and kept the false brothers and the false things from rising up and stealing and dividing the church. 
He said, but I trained you night and day. I showed you and I taught you what should be done in all seasons of good, bad, and different temptations and war. When I'm leaving, those wolves that I've driven off come. And they're going to try to come in and devour you. Remember what I told you. Remember what I did to them when they were here the first time. Do the same thing. Pick up your staff and beat them out. A wolf you kick out. You don't invite it in for dinner. He'll have you and all your babies. You get rid of the wolf. Hopefully you can convert a goat. But a wolf you get rid of. And he said, when I'm gone, them that have not purified their heart, that has a desire for the eye ministry, what I want, what I think, my revelation, my, 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 will rise up from among you. Be remember that. Be aware. I warned you for three years, night and day, with tears, I've even begged you to hear me and understand me. The devil does not leave you alone. He won't leave this church alone. The devil hates that it was founded by Mr. Jeffries. He hates that the mantle that Mr. Jeffries left on two people. This church of Mr. Bonke is thriving. He hates it. He wants to make sure that KT does not disappear. But it shrinks in its capacity to produce greatness. To lose its national voice. It cannot be a trendsetter. It's a revelation announcer. It is an example of God's plans and purposes to this city and to this part of the world. It has always been like that. And may every leader that stands in this pulpit as senior minister, remember you take on a mantle that is a demonstration mantle. It is a mantle that produces great ministries to go out. And the wolves have howled all over the territory and have tried to move this greatness out. But it has survived successfully through many different leaders. And I believe it will survive in the future as well. I believe it. It has survived also the weirdness that tries to come into every church. That weirdness is driven out by strong preaching and sometimes showing somebody the exit and tell them to leave. See, well that's not nice. You know what's not nice is weirdness coming in thinking it has a right to be weird in your house. You don't go in somebody's house and start doing stupid things. You honor the people whose house that is. And you're in God's house. You don't come in and do stupid things in his name. You either get right. If you don't want to get right, you're sure the exit doors. I had 16 in my church and I used them often. And you don't believe me either. Go ask my members. I told them, if you don't straighten up, you can get out. Well, don't you want me? Not like this. You're not going to change. Some people like being weird. Then you can be weird by yourself. Well, sure is a quiet service tonight. This is Paul's um, address to his pastors at Ephesus. Just reading it to you. 
Verse 31, trying to close now. Verse 32, I'm sorry. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all of them which are, are sanctified. And you thought he'd quit there because that's a nice place to end your sermon. But then he goes into verse 33 and 34. I've coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel. Boys, that need to be preached today. God will supply your needs. God will give you a quality life. But you don't have to be a covetous person. You don't misuse people's goodwill for your own self-gain. Yea, yourselves know that these hands of mine have ministered unto my own necessity. And to them that were with me. Uh, he didn't mind taking care of himself. He knew how to work. I always get the question. When do I go into full-time ministry? When the church can pay you a full-time salary. Very simple. What do you do in the meantime? Get a job. Good morning. It's very easy. Are you in full-time ministry? Here's the way if you know. Can the ministry have pay you full-time? If, if it can't, then you're not. And you don't live by begging faith. I'm living by faith. No. Go get a job so you can have some happy family members and take care of yourself. And your church grows, your ministry grows, and can take care of you. At that time, then you can. It's very basic. Paul worked. I think you can too. Amen. Amen. Verse 35. I've showed you all things. How that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The ministry heart has to always be this way. To give. The heart of ministry is to give. To give your life for God and man. To give everything you have to God and man. The hearts of a giver must dominate the heart of God's leaders. The day that you start changing the giving side of the heart of the ministry, it stops being Jesus' ministry. It starts changing into something that's not right. Something that doesn't taste right. Doesn't feel this right. One of the last things Paul said to his leaders at Ephesus was the words of Jesus that he'd heard probably by one of the apostles who heard Jesus say to himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give your life than to preserve it. It's more blessed to give that what you have and to keep it in some reservoir inside. And then when he had thus spoken, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. And they all wept greatly. And they all hugged Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake. They should see his face no more. And they walked him down to the boat and said goodbye to him. Now I just kind of went through this very quickly tonight because it takes a lot longer than one service to do this properly. But I wanted to just give this to you tonight. How Paul talked to his ministers. He said, I served you with humility of mind in all seasons. Some of you, when you first came to this church, in the natural, I couldn't see anything for you. That's why God gave me the ability to see how he sees you. 
and sees the greatness in you and your future and your destiny. So I talk to that. I train you for that. I correct you with that in mind. I serve you with humility of mind. I had tears with you. Some were because of you. Some because of what I was going through. I fought temptations and you know it. You're with me. I fought religious devils. They were everywhere. You remember? But I kept nothing back. All of these things did not distract me from giving you everything that I had in my spirit to deposit in you, to make you strong, make you great, and make you win. He said, I taught you by demonstration and by accurate teaching. I told you how to get saved continuously. Repent and have faith toward God. He said, I've been told every place I've gone, I'm going to Jerusalem for a great battle. He says, but this is how I've always lived. I'm not moved, so you don't be moved. I'm not bothered, don't be bothered. If you can be moved and bothered, don't be in ministry. If you can be moved and bothered by people's eyes or the lack of their expressions or their attitudes outside on the street corners or what they say at coffee all across town about you and your family and your church, quit now. Go work at McDonald's and be happy. He'd have a soft heart and alligator skin. So stuff bounces off of you. The problem is people have a, a tough heart and soft skin. That's why they get hurt. He said, but I'm going to finish my course. Paul was determined. When you start ministry, you started with the determination you're going to finish in ministry. There is no plan B, no plan C. God has one plan. That's plan A and that's it. Well, what if I plan B? I don't have plan B. I'm called to preach. Some of you are too. That's what I'll do. When I'm, die, when I'm dead, I'll die preaching. I'll die screaming. I'll die kicking. I'll die punching something. I'll die doing something. I won't go, well, it was a good life. I'll still be doing it. You can say it was a good life after I'm dead. I asked Oral Roberts one time, why don't you just relax? You're 87 years old. You're building a TV station. Relax. He goes, I don't relax until I get to heaven. I'm called here to work. That's how great people live. When you're here, you work until you die. Retirement, not our vocabulary. Are you with me? He said, I preach to you the full counsel of God. I've told you everything. I have nobody's but on my hands. I told everybody the truth publicly and privately. I've done it all. I commend you pastors to take charge of the flock that God's given you. To feed them and mature them. God purchases with his blood. I'm going to leave and I'm going to warn you. When I leave, those wolves that I've kept out of the house of God are going to try to get in. Pick up the staff that I gave you and beat them. And get them out. And don't let them come and devour the great sheep that God has put in your fold. And when I leave, be careful of the egos. And the self-willed people who want to come in the gathering of God's people and pull the young babes to themselves because they think there's something great. Put them in their place and don't let it happen. I've told you these things for three years. I've told you them even crying, showing you the desperation that you hear me. It's the last time I'm going to tell you. The wolves are there. The false brethren are there. Deal with them. He said, I didn't come here... And take your money. 
I didn't come here and abuse your goodwill. I appreciate what you've done for me. I'm thankful how you blessed me. But I was not too big to go out and get a job and take care of myself and my team. So I want you to know, that's how I lived among you. Follow me as I follow the Lord. And my last statement Paul said, I want to give you, is the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In all your life as a Christian, don't stub up the bowels of mercy. Don't stop loving because you were hurt. Don't stop giving because someone did something wrong. Don't stop believing because someone went astray. Stay in the giving. Stay in the doing. Stay in the right vein. And do it the rest of your life. If everybody around you goes the wrong way, you go the right way. If everybody around you, stand up. If everybody goes around and goes the wrong way, or they stop giving their attitude changes, you keep the right attitude. You keep the right thing. It doesn't matter what others do. It matters what you do. Your first responsibility is to keep yourself right. And you do what is right with no shame. I'm 46 years old. There were people in my life that I thought would be further down the road than they are. They were better than me in many ways. But there's something I got from my mother and my grandmother that I'll never be ashamed of and I would talk about it for the rest of my life. They gave me the ability to keep on keeping on. I learned from my grandmother and my mother. It doesn't matter if the whole world goes to hell, you don't have to. If the whole group goes to the wrong thing, you don't have to. If everybody doesn't believe, you keep believing. If they stop praying, you keep praying. If they stop looking, you keep looking. If they stop giving, you keep giving. You do what is right that you know is right. No matter what those around about you don't do, you do what's right. You do it boldly, unashamedly, and on purpose. On purpose. And Father, we thank you for tonight. Holy Spirit, you're the most wonderful gift that we've received from heaven. We can be nothing without your empowerment. We can do nothing without your divine assistance. You are that unseen resource that gives strength when we're so weak and tired. That puts a divine ability that surpasses our greatest thinkings. I ask you this very night to come upon us again. Come, Holy Spirit. Revive His works in the midst of our years. Bring alive those things that have been dormant. Remove the pain of our memories. Take from us all of those handicaps. Remove those things, I pray. Remove them from our inner thinking and inner believing. And let that childlike faith come back alive. Let the joy of this great salvation return to us. And raise a new generation of people for this Kensington Temple. It's time for a new day to dawn. It's time for a fresh anointing to come again over this house. We look up to heaven and we ask for a new rain. We ask for a new wind to blow. 
we ask for that mighty anointing again to come upon us we're tired of laboring in the natural trying to accomplish that which can never be done by the hand and the intellect of man hear the servant's prayer hear the cry of the people the desire again that tangible anointing the presence of the almighty come and reveal that to us again reveal that mighty power reveal that mighty anointing reveal to us those things that we need to know that we might be able to stay strong in the time of this divine conflict in the earth remove out of the people's shame remove out of us embarrassment and give unto us bravery give unto us courage give unto us that spirit that does not know how to go down in defeat grant unto this house a new freedom grant unto this pulpit a new freedom a new clarity a new boldness and may the womb of this house give birth again into this city into this nation and into the continent of Europe let the darkness spring back as the light comes forth remove the ropes and the chains that bind us remove them we pray in Jesus name remove the shackles remove the weights remove the weariness and grant unto your servants divine strength and abilities give sight of the spiritual land to this house again take deafness from their ears and give them the ability to hear the distinction of your voice and the clarity of your will you've always used this house you've always honored the prayer of the founder of this house And we ask that you do it again. We ask that you do it again, Almighty One. You do it again. We don't mind being first. We don't mind going into the territories that have not yet been opened. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes with everything that we have within us. Yes. 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 
that the thing